football. It's America's best product. This is Revelations Radio News with Andrew Hoffman and Tim Kilkenny on the Revelations Radio Network. Podcasting to you from the seaside town of Edmonds, Washington, where I am 100% sure Andrew Hoffman would make a better vice president. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Tim Kilkenny. I am from Hood River, Oregon, now Hoffman family of four. I'm Andrew Hoffman. Hoffman family of four. <sighs> oh, bomb. Oh, no, it's the wrong chant. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely the wrong chant. <laughs> so, so but, uh, it was uh much more eventful than we had hoped um but yes our daughter kayla is is home and uh breathing on her own eating on her own all good things so a couple um i guess almost two full weeks in the intensive care unit the um the NICU, but, um, yes, doing, doing much better now. So awesome. That's great news, man. That's really, really cool. And, uh, not, not, not long after, uh, towards the end of this month will be baby Kilkenny. So yes, it's, uh, it's a busy season for us both. Well, I, I wish you and your your wife a much quicker uh, hospital back home turnaround. Of course, man. That, that <laughs> that's uh, that goes. Yeah, that that seems tough, man. So you've been out, out of work for a couple of weeks, or how'd it go? Oh, I commuted from Portland a little bit on some days. Uh, okay. So kind of you know hour drive both ways, uh, but I took. The majority of the days off so okay okay but you are in sales right so it's the, the paycheck then suffer yeah i mean the um i was still able to keep up with email and voicemail and what have you so okay okay well there you go should we should we do a a, a, a donation drive for you or anything no no, I think um, financially speaking, we were expecting the medical bills that will come from Lori's stay, and um, uh, the state of Oregon should be covering Kayla's NICU stay. So okay, good, good. Well, keep us up to date on that. I'm sure we have at least a few people who'd be interested in in how all that shakes out. Yeah, we the. People's generosity um, to help with Lori's <laughs> bills from last year—it was—it was much appreciated. But we, you know, we knew we were going to have a baby, so we—we uh, we definitely tried to save up, and um, yeah, hopefully financially it, it shouldn't be a 
too much of a hardship this time around. Although, uh, you know, I, I told Lori that uh, our new daughter must be competitive because she already beat her hospital stay record. So she now is the, she already owns the longest hospital stay. So, <laughs> so same hospital too in Portland. There you go. Yeah. It's, I've eaten way too many meals in their cafeteria. Oh, yeah. And they can they they can be quite brutal. I think. Yeah. yeah it's kind of hit or miss. So but. saving up for a child is this what I should be doing? Uh, depending on the insurance, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Yes. I probably don't even have the right amount in my head saved up, so it'll be trial and error a little bit on this end. But we'll well, ju- just we'll assume that whatever the out-of-pocket maximum is, they'll find a way to get it to that point. So, <laughs> I think that's a safe bet, huh? That's the only. Net. Don't worry about the deductible or anything else. It's just out-of-pocket max. That's what it's going to be. Out-of-pocket max. What is the difference between out-of-pocket max and deductible? Well, for uh, for example, the uh, company we currently have, LifeWise, who is withdrawing from Oregon at the end of this year. Which is the one that is one of the ones that's folding because it was going to be a co-op. And then when the health bill was passed, they promised co-ops, co-ops. There'll be a lot of co-op insurance. No, no. Uh, that was... Health Republic, that was the co-op that went under at the end of last year. Oh, that lasted all so about five minutes. So then we got LifeWise. Yeah, that we got LifeWise, who's not a co-op, and they're saying, forget it, we're pulling out of the exchange. So Wow. So even uh, non-co-ops are pulling out. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, you know, and I, I mean, my employer pays a lot of, um, a lot of money for the for the insurance. They pay um, the full you know monthly charge for both my wife and I. So it's got to be like nine hundred bucks a month at least. Um, but the coverage, I believe, the deductible is forty five hundred. Okay. But then the that doesn't really matter because at that point they only cover thirty <laughs> percent. So anything that, you know, gets you past 4,500, then, okay, you can take 30% off of until you hit the out-of-pocket maximum, which um, in this case is 6,750. Wow. So that's the only number that really, really matters. So. Interesting. I just, uh, it's, I just learned something new today, and it's another scam that nobody's out there really talking about. Yeah, I I talked with the insurance broker and who <laughs> had told me, uh, you know, this was, I talked to her about a year ago, and she said, "Oh yeah, I knew I didn't even put clients on Health Republic because I knew they were going under." And she said, "Lifewise will they'll last a little longer, but not too much." And sure enough, they're they're going down. But uh, wow, well, they're not going out of business; they're withdrawing from from Oregon exchange but anyway yes it's a kind of a ridiculous system um as we all know um and 
you know, it's a lot of beeping in the NICU. A lot of beeps. Oh man. So a lot of LEDs. Yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, monitor displays, and anytime um, some monitor said, you know, heart rate too high, too low, oxygen saturation too low, or respiration too low, sets off all the alarms. But it happens so often that, of course, no one really pays attention to it from a <laughs> nursing perspective. So it kind of makes you wonder what the what the point is, but. Sure, sure. I've spent some time in an ICU, but not a NICU. Uh, but yeah, lots of beeping and LEDs. I think it'd probably be even more intense in the NICU. So, uh, fortunately, we—I mean, it was a very light uh, census, as they say. Not too many other babies in there. So it, in the you know. In general, I think nurses do a great job, so I'm, I'm not complaining about it. Other than the kind of the te- technology aspect, I'm not totally sold on. So. Sure, sure, that makes some sense. So, all right, well, uh, what did you think about the biggest election-changing announcement ever that happened in the middle of the night last night? Did you stay up for it? Were you ready? Oh, the Julian Assange election-changing event? Were you watching the InfoWars live stream till 2 a.m. Eastern? Is that really what they did? <laughs> yeah, and then he came out and said, uh, happy, I, I don't even know what he said, but he didn't dump any actual information. So I just heard a clip from Alex Jones who wasn't super happy and is saying, you know, maybe they, maybe he cut a deal so we'll have to see if uh, if Julian Assange, you know, gets, gets out a, anytime soon. It's a deal, then we know. Yeah. But, but there was um, one interesting story. Julian Assange says he will release U.S. election documents before November eighth. Okay. Well, he did say he was going to release them last night, so. Before the end, this, here it is. Someone else says, uh, before the end of the year. Yeah, I believe he said before the end of the year, <laughs> which wow. could be before, yeah, whatever. But uh, I don't know. To some extent, it's not like there's not enough Clinton scandals already out there. Um I think the people that are going to vote for Hillary are going to vote for regardless of, you know, what dirty laundry is dragged out about her. Yeah, people are just kind of entrenching themselves into their positions at this point. Yeah, same thing for, you know, same thing for Trump. Uh, This was an interesting report, though. This this came from RT, but it was fairly widely uh, reported. Democratic um, Hillary Clinton before, considered... Okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just thinking before we get into the stories here, I just did want to report on... I guess I just spent a little time listening to the uh, presidential debate, the vice presidential debate, which is kind of interesting to listen to if you're on the radio. Uh, but okay. obviously it's nothing huge. But I did want to just point out two pretty... Cool- well, I a pretty good chance that... Uh- <laughs> One of them could be president someday. Sure, sure. 
Um, I just wanted to point out something I think that has been pretty obvious, but I wanted to go ahead and follow it up with a resounding yes. This is true. Uh, two of the most milk toast dudes I've ever seen. <laughs> like the like the idea of the, to choose both of them was just like let's just like, not let's oh. not let's not ruin the brand. Let's just have another person standing up there. I mean, they are generic they, white guy versus generic white. They guy. have two of the most. <laughs> Like, I, I mean, Tim Kane. They have, I mean, they have the the personality of a wet dish rag. I mean, it's, yeah. it's unbelievable. Both of them, both of them, believe it or not. Well, uh, Kenny, I mean, Vice President, this is only going to get traction if one of them really screws up. So their their marching orders are probably just don't screw up out there. Well, and it was kind of funny in the, I don't know how the actual the presidential debates went. I didn't get a chance to check it out, but these two like the question was about North Korea. All of a sudden they devolved into the Clinton Foundation and there was back and forth about the Clinton Foundation and at the end the lady's like, "Okay, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to rebut, but I do want to point out that the original question was about North Korea." And like everybody like laughs because yeah. they just like devolved into talking about whatever they wanted to talk about. Are they the debates aren't really moderated very well anymore. I mean, there's no like keep it on track or continuing to ask questions. It's just like, it just seems like uh, reality TV. And there was like, you know, this one part where, you know, the, I saw the pundits afterwards, this, this one part of the debate where Tim Kaine slammed or, you know, just ignored or something, you know, the, uh, he, like put his finger up, like, hold on a minute while he was still talking, trying to get the other guy to stop talking. It's like the whole thing's dumb. I think we all knew that, but I just wanted to report back, checked in, watched it. Thing is dumb. Let's move forward. <laughs> <laughs> did you watch the presidential debate I, I last didn't. week? I didn't. I got. I got. I mean, the strange part was, and the reason I didn't was because I was in public, and I couldn't. I couldn't stand the. I don't know. I guess I should have for the show, but like for my own sanity, I just couldn't sit there and watch it with like three or four other people who were like. Actively. They might have been offended by the sackcloth and ashes you were felt the need to put on it <laughs> while watching it. I don't know. I wouldn't even have said that, but I just, you know, just like listening to them, like sometimes hurts my brain. Like you seem like such a good person at work. Why do you think these crazy things? Yes. <laughs> so I just, I didn't, I didn't check it out because I honestly didn't want to know. And then, Somebody like ran by my office like those those two people in there think Obama's good. Can you believe it? And I was just like, okay, man. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> 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 anyway, sorry. Uh, we can move forward now. I just wanted to tie back to my intro, saying that obviously I'm 100 percent sure you would be a better vice presidential candidate. And let's move forward with the stories. I. You know, I am a generic white guy. I, I fit the bill. You are totally a generic white guy. That, could, that would work. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Hillary Clinton considered drone attack on Julian Assange. Come on, man. Recently? As soon as I saw this story, I was like, was this recent? Comes from uh, RT. The uh, And the answer is no, not super recent. Um Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton reportedly wanted to drone WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange when she was Secretary of State. According to True Pundit, Clinton and the State Department were under pressure to silence Assange and WikiLeaks in the months before the whistleblowing site released a massive dump of 
250,000 diplomatic cables from 1966 to 2010, dubbed Cablegate. Can't we just drone this guy, Clinton asked, according to an unidentified State Department source, uh, or multiple unidentified sources. Uh, WikiLeaks posted a link to the story on their official Twitter account on Monday, along with the screenshot of the article. So seemingly saying, yeah, it's legit. I don't know how they would know that for sure. Uh, Clinton and the State Department held numerous meetings to discuss what could be done about Assange and his site, which had already exposed uh, military secrets about the war in Afghanistan and Iraq before the promised document dump was to come. The department was under pressure from both the White House and foreign governments to silence WikiLeaks. True Pundit re- reports people in the room with Clinton on November 23, 2010, laughed at her comment until it became clear that the then Secretary of State was serious. Clinton was reportedly fuming and referred to Assange as a soft target. Clinton's, uh, let's see. So, there we go. Can't we just drone this guy? Which at least sets the precedent, right? I mean, he's not a fan. Yeah, you wouldn't think he'd be a fan. Ever. But, uh... I, I, I hate stories with unidentified government sources. Right. You know, we could whip one of those out in no, no time flat. The only thing worse is like the alternative media, unidentified Russian government sources. That's about the only thing worse. So, like, random Russian name... He's a scientist, and they're working on a bomb to blow up the U.S. You know that that type of story. And they got the news from Russian hackers who leaked. <laughs> <laughs> Russian hackers are the new, are the new Reds. Yes, the new. And it's interesting because uh, the Democrats are are kind of claiming the. Um, hawkish stance towards Russia. Right. Which has always been, I mean, that's been the Republican deal. Like, yeah, we're ready to go to nuclear war with Russia to prove a point. Um, but now it's, it's Hillary, which is, I don't know if it's all perceived because Trump's own words are like, I'm the most militaristic person in the world which is not exactly someone I want to support. And yet the self-described most militaristic person in the world um, is loathed by neocons for because uh, they don't think he's going to warmonger enough. Says something about our, our standard um, center of the road foreign policy there. Yeah, <laughs> center of the road. Just keep going straight, right? Nothing yep. changes. If you've got an opinion um, on the peace side of Hillary Clinton um, or Donald Trump, you're you're just a wacko. And actually, even Donald Trump's apparently a wacko because he doesn't want full-on war with Russia and is willing to talk to him. You got anything you want to... What do I got? I threw some stuff in here. Uh, I thought this one was interesting. Uh, did I tell you I've been recruited to become a police officer? Have I told this story? No. Yeah, yeah, that was a while back. Uh, a month or two ago. 
Um, I'm friends with a police officer, strangely enough. And a local one here. He's a friend of a, of a friend. He's occasionally around and, uh, told me that, asked me how I liked what I was doing and, uh, wanted to let me know that they were hiring. He thought I'd be perfect for it. I said, what do you mean? He says, yeah, a lot of, a lot of the, uh, the police force is, uh, retiring, especially in this small town I live in within the next like five or 10 years. And so they're going to be out a bunch of people and they want to get young guys just like myself. <laughs> to come in and be police officers, which I thought about. I mean, obviously, it's highly ironic. Um, and I just kind of like try to like think about it with an open mind. And I think I would be a good cop if I could handle it, but I don't think I could handle it. I don't think I could. <laughs> I don't think I could could uh, just suffer the inane discipline for no reason of it all. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's the part that would hurt my soul. Like, I don't like at this point, if someone was like, you're going to go in the army, I'd be like, no, no, I'm not like, not at all. <laughs> like we well, have to march and get up at this time. I'm not, I'm not doing that. If it's, it's, I, I can, I totally can. I'm capable. I don't have to prove that to you or myself anymore. Cause I'm not 19 years old. I totally could do this whole boot camp, top to bottom. No big deal, but I just don't want to <laughs> right. for no dang reason. So anyway, uh, yeah, so that was a it was kind of a, a strange moment, just like really just thinking it through and it'd be interesting, you know. I could, I mean, we would have so much show material; it'd be just unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to, I mean, I'd probably have to quit the show if uh, if that. Happened. I mean, I wouldn't, but it, like, I couldn't just like just straight dump everything. I'm sure there's some sort of privacy standards. So anyway, I. Well, Your you thoughts? know, you, 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 set, you, set out, here? <laughs> you set out to be an honest uh, used car salesman. And I car salesman, not necessarily used. But. Not necessarily used, exactly. And I did that, so. But uh, I guess the only thing more rare than an <laughs> honest car salesman is an honest cop. <laughs> well, other than politician, but that goes without Without saying. Yeah. Next up, I'll run for mayor. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Could be a good stepping stone. Yeah, I'll run be a blue police officer. Oh, police chief. You got to work your way up to police chief. and Then then mayor. Butter up the mayor and then take his job. <laughs> I like it. Cadence. All right, my dog has decided to stand directly beside me and wag her tail into the cabinet. <laughs> you got you to gotta move on. Hear that. I'm sure you do. Uh, my story was going to lead into something, but I can't. Oh, there it is. Hey, can you sit down? I mean, what are we doing here? <laughs> what? What? I might just leave this whole part in the show so people can know what we're dealing with here on a regular basis. Okay. And now she's going to slurp her water. It's going to be great. Uh, is there a story here? The cops beating their wives and girlfriends at double the national average? Yeah. Is that what you were leading into? It is exactly what I was leading into. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was clear as my uh, as, as, <laughs> as, as well as I was leading into it without any distractions can, or losing by, by not at all. By not beating your wife, you can lower that. So it won't be double the national <laughs> average. It'll be just under double the <laughs> national average. 
This is uh, from 2014, but it says statistics show one in four women in the U.S. is a victim of domestic violence. Those numbers jump to one in two if they are married to a cop. Mm, we could read this story or not. Well, I mean, it, it kind of seems like a um, headlines the whole story story, but if, if there's more in there, go for it. No, it, I think it headlines the whole story. There are a lot of good cops who go into work for the right reasons to help people, but then you have the others who are more interested in authority, in the badge, and the gun. Right. So, you know, the like, I would literally, I would be exactly who they would want, right? I mean, or maybe this, maybe that's not true, but it, it would, I would be as a cop, I would be the one that the most citizens would want. They would want me to do it because I, would, the idea of like, hey, do you want a badge and a gun? My first reaction was like, not really. <laughs> right. That's the guy you want, right? I mean, that's the guy. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not the guy that that uh, volunteers to do it. So. I think I told that story before. Adam Carolla always said that if you were uh, in a group of men and you said, hey, somebody's got to take these 8 to 10-year-olds on a camping trip for three days this weekend. Who wants to do it? The first guy that raises his hand is the guy that absolutely should not take the children on a weekend <laughs> trip. For- <laughs> you want to take a group of 8 to 10-year-old boys on a trip, you're, you're they're by disqualified. You want the guy who's kind of hiding in the corner, like, uh, I got tickets to the game this year. You're going. <laughs> <laughs> That's the guy. Maybe the same thing with cops. Yeah. I mean, same thing with the political leaders. You want the ones that don't actually. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Want power. Yeah. Like That's... when they asked Ron Paul about, like, if he dreamed about being president, and he's like, no. <laughs> I never really thought about it, you know. <laughs> well, because um, I mean, you know, Hillary. This oh yeah. Is, this is in been... Hillary's mind. She's craved this before Bill Clinton was president. Oh yes. Probably before Bill Clinton was governor. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this was. I think this was uh, before. I mean, it may even be before she met Bill. Right. I mean, this is a thing that goes way, way back. Ugh. Okay. Um, I'm I'm too scatterbrained. I've had a, a long, stressful day, and, and uh, I'm not holding coherent thoughts. So I'm gonna let, you wanna t- letting the dog distract me, and then I. You want to uh, talk about uh, economic stuff a little bit? Let's do it. Have you been following the Deutsche Bank? I have been following the Deutsche Bank. I don't know much other than that everybody seems to be scrambling away from Deutsche Bank. I've been following Wells Fargo a little more closely. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Watching the uh the the uh amazingness that is the Wells Fargo uh racketeering and uh, right. and mass fraud. Yes, the I want to check an account. Okay, sign this, 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 and this, and you now have 18 accounts. <laughs> Many of them with monthly fees. Congratulations. Yeah. So Deutsche Bank, uh, which they're not, it's just a giant German bank. There's no, it's not run by the German government. Okay. But yeah. it's. Right, and that that is that's important to to cover because it did seem like that was 
I mean, the name it's made to seem like Bank of America, right? It's right. made it's made to seem like something that is German run, state yeah. run. So a few weeks ago, um, I was watching a golf tournament, and they the Ryder uh, Cup. No, no, this was a few weeks ago. All right, um, probably at least a month ago. And um, there's a part of every golf broadcast where they uh, bring the a representative, usually a pretty big muckety-muck from the sponsor, up to the booth and then they kiss his behind and thank him for sponsoring the tournament and giving so much to charity and blah, 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 blah. Okay? Every mm-hmm. golf tournament. Right. So it was a Deutsche Bank guy. And um, they're like, oh, this is kind of bittersweet because we know you're not going to sponsor anymore after this year. And, uh, you know, what has sponsoring this tournament meant to Deutsche Bank? So this guy just, I could tell he was like kind of distracted and freaked out. Like he's just, he kind of went through the motions. He's like, oh, you know, it's been great. The banking contacts in the Boston area. Okay. Horrible answer. You're supposed to say, oh, helping kids out through this such and such charity. Um, and I, so I'm sitting there uh, with my wife and I say, Deutsche Bank is going under. <laughs> I'm like, look at this guy. Like, they're bailing out on their, their golf sponsorship. And this guy looks like he's about about to lose his job. <laughs> and You called so it, huh? I I did call it, you know, didn't actually short uh, short the stock or anything, which would have been good. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, yeah, they're in big trouble. So there was, they were already in trouble because all banks are giant scams that will eventually come crumbling down. Um, you know, like the Wells Fargo thing, a bunch of sales numbers based on accounts that were created through fraud. Um, and the, you know, the entire banking system is, is bogus as it is, uh, valuing assets based on, Oh, this is what we think it'll be worth at some time in the future, rather than what you could sell it for at the moment. Um, you know, mark to market accounting there. Mark to market. Gotta love it. So then um, the U.S. government, because keep in mind, this is, the, this is another German company. Uh, remember the Volkswagen deal? Like, oh, look, those cheaters. They cheated on their emissions tests. And it kind of came out that other companies were doing the same thing, but it was all Volkswagen. Like, Volkswagen took the heat for it. And... Um, a pretty substantial recall cost and just hit to their, their brand. I mean, when we, when we sold my wife's Jetta, people were responding by saying, is this one of the recalled ones? It's like, uh, it's 12 years old and doesn't run on diesel. What do you think? (laughs) I constantly, uh, I have to, that's what, I have to deal with this too. We we treat people who pull up in Volkswagen Passats like the, pari- like a pariah, like a <laughs> like 
like, oh no. So they pull up in a Volkswagen Passat or, you know, a diesel Jetta. And everybody scrambles away. Somebody eventually has to say hi to them because they're all shopping for this mythical check they're going to get. Actually, supposedly this month sometime. Uh, right. Which, then, I mean, so it's, when, it's... once they get their payoff of like whatever it is, like almost. The, the full value of the car when they purchased it, then they'll be able to buy a new car. So you can imagine whether or not uh, <laughs> the most yeah, popular. The most popular customers? Yes. <laughs> so uh, back to Deutsche Bank. So U.S. government comes out and says uh, Deutsche Bank did all these terrible illegal things, just like all the other big U.S. banks and other banks throughout the world, and we're going to fine them $15 billion. Which uh, sounds large. Yeah, and f- it actually would be, because uh, I think the largest fines for similar offenses has been like $3 billion. Um, so it kind of freaked people out because they, you know, they set aside a few billion for legal action, uh, but $15 billion would take them down. But this is what always happens. They always say, oh, we're going to find you $15 billion, and they negotiate it down to a couple billion. And then and eventually it's just a tax write-off. No admission, of, <laughs> no admission of wrongdoing. No admission of wrongdoing. Eventually they can just write the whole thing off. No one goes to jail. Um, no actual punishment whatsoever. Just some, some payoffs to the regulators. So... Which is what's going to happen with this. They're not actually going to charge them $15 billion because if they did, it really would take down Deutsche Bank. But they let it hang out there enough to really do some serious damage to the stock. The German government said, no, we're not bailing them out um, because Merkel's not super popular right now. And she's, I believe she's up for election or at least her party is up for election soon. So it's a a bad time politically to, to say, yeah, we're going to bail out big banks. Um, it's probably also a bad time to say, we're going to let all the uh, migrants in that want to come into our country and you people are going to have to deal with it. But uh, but she's already already done that, so bailing out the big banks was, was not something she wanted to promise to do. Um, but I believe there was... Oh, and I don't have a, a super recent story. I have the stories about the when the stock was really crashing. Um, ten of the large hedge funds were withdrawing from Deutsche Bank uh, as a kind of clearinghouse for trades. Because they're – and they've got this whole derivative scheme, which I don't fully understand. Maybe you do – maybe you understand it better. But basically uh, – what it amounts to is passing around imaginary money, taking real commissions on it until there's no actual money left. Right, right. Yeah. Derivatives like, derivatives hey, of other, other of derivatives of derivatives. I don't understand how you can have um, a derivatives market that's like fifty times larger than actual you know, all the actual um, stuff, all the actual um, real money transactions you know even counting real estate and everything else in the world yes just you know maybe i, I was an english major though not a not a finance major <laughs> so 
so anyway, so keep an eye on that. Um, not giving investment advice. But if Deutsche Bank truly did go under, uh, I mean, that would that would be a massive deal. Yeah. And do you think that that would be the ripples of that would be felt around the world or? Definitely throughout Throughout, Europe. Throughout Europe. Yeah. It might. um, And this goes way back to before our show, but uh, what was the smaller bank that got gobbled up in the, the financial crisis? Washington Mutual. Yeah. Yeah. And it, um, Come on, man. I'm right here. It's Washington. Washington Mutual. <laughs> and uh, the Frank and Chris show yeah, back in the day. The old Frank and Chris show. Frank yeah. Frank. Frank did all the, the deep dive on that and saying that bank wasn't in that bad of shape. It was actually, it was a, a takedown yeah. Yeah, to solidify whoever bought him out. J.P. Morgan Chase. J.P. J. Morgan Chase. Jamie Diamond. So, yeah. So if the bank were to go under, yes, it could, you know, cause some catastrophic stuff to happen, but it could also be good for certain other banks. And I mean, we've, we've covered a lot of different stuff throughout the years on different banks. Deutsche Bank does seem to come up fairly often. Yeah. I mean, uh, Impressively corrupt. Yeah, yeah. I think the only thing that wasn't James Comey on Deutsche Bank that's a on great, their board. That's a great question. What was the bank that uh, did the money laundering for the uh, U.S. government? Well, basically for different uh, drug cartels. It's uh, HSBC. HSBC. That's right. Yep. Oh, uh, he. That's who James Comey worked for. Ah, well, there we go. James, not Deutsche Bank. Yeah, James Comey worked for HSBC, and he worked for him back in the day that uh, all that stuff was going on. Yep. During the Bush, he was a U.S. attorney, then he was deputy attorney general. Then, Supreme Court consideration, then FBI director. Hmm. What Before, before that, though, where is it? Bush years, Lockheed Martin. Ah, oh, good. This is right in his own wiki. He appointed. He was appointed the board of directors of the London-based financial HSBC to improve the company's compliance program after its $1.9 billion settlement with the Justice Department for failing to comply with basic due diligence requirements for money laundering regarding Mexican drug cartels and terrorism financing. Since 2012, he also served on the Defense Legal Policy Board. Hmm. So it seems like he, he came on after the. Uh, well, according to his wiki page. According to his wiki page, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I've heard some. Contra- contradictory ev- yeah. of, of evidence of that. Yeah. I, let's just say I don't think it was all cleaned up when. And for when those who don't know, we're talking about James Comey, the current head of the FBI, right? Right, the one who chose not to prosecute hillary clinton based on uh not being able to prove intent not like the clintons have ever been involved in a large-scale uh 
drug running money laundering operations. Right. During an unusual 15-minute press conference in the Jake Hoover building, Comey called Secretary Clinton and her top aide's behavior extremely careless, but concluded that no reasonable prosecutor would bring a case. Which is interesting. <laughs> Which is true, because most reasonable prosecutors don't want to get killed by one of the Clintons. Don't want to get them. dead. Yeah. Most reasonable people wouldn't bring a case in open court against the Clintons. So, anyway... But I digress. All right, we got to cover this story. Okay. Uh, let's, we let's... have we have talked about this um, subject, but this is a little more specific. Uh, it's called "Fake News and False Flags: How the Pentagon Paid a British PR Firm Five Hundred Million Dollars for Top Secret Iraq Propaganda." Whoop, whoop. And ask yourself if. Uh, if you really think that this is not going on anymore and uh, think about those <laughs> beheading videos tied to John McCain, but uh, anyway, the Pentagon gave a controversial UK PR firm over half a billion dollars to run a top secret propaganda program in Iraq. The Bureau of investigative journalism can reveal bell Pottinger's output included short short TV segments in the style of Arabic news networks and fake insurgent videos, which could be used to track the people who watch them. According to a former employee, the agency's staff worked alongside high ranking U S military officers in their Baghdad camp victory headquarters as the insurgency raged outside. Bell Pottinger's former chairman, Lord Tim Bell confirmed to the Sunday times, which worked with the bureau on the story that his firm had worked on a covert military operation covered by various secrecy agreements. And as a quick aside, they actually have named sources in this article, not unnamed sources. So it's always good to see. Uh, Bell Pottinger reported the Pentagon, the CIA, and the National Security Council on its work in Iraq, he said. Bell, one of Britain's most successful public relations executives, is credited with honing Margaret Thatcher's steely image and helping the Conservative Party win three elections. The agency co-founded has had a roster of clients, including repressive regimes and Asma al-Assad, the wife of the Syrian president. In the first media interview, any bell pot... Horrible people. Repressive <laughs> regimes and the wife of the Syrian president. Yeah. They'll work... Hey, PR firms will work for anybody, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, if you're paying, they're, they're spinning for you. In the first media interview any Bell Pottinger employee has given about the work for the U.S. military in Iraq, video editor Martin Wells, who no longer works for the company, told the Bureau his time in Camp Victory was shocking, eye-opening, and life-changing. The firm's output was signed off by former General David Petraeus, then commander of the coalition forces in Iraq, and on occasion by the White House, Wells said. Bell Pottinger produced reams of material for the Pentagon, some of it going far beyond standard communications work. The Bureau traced the firm's Iraq work through the U.S. Army contracting censuses, federal procurement transaction records, and reports by the D Department of Defense, Inspector General, as well as Bell Pottinger's corporate filings and specialist publications on military propaganda. We interviewed half a dozen former officials and contractors involved in information operations in Iraq. There were three types of media operations commonly used in Iraq at the time, said a military contractor familiar with Bell Pottinger's work there. Uh, they're color-coded there. White is attributed. It says who produced it on the label, the contractor said. Gray is unattributed, and black is falsely attributed. 
These types of black ops used for tracking who was watching a certain thing were a pretty standard part of the industry toolkit. Bill Pottinger changed ownership after a management buyout in 2012, and its current structure has no connections with the unit that operated in Iraq, which closed in 2011. It is understood the key people who worked in that unit deny any involvement with tracking software as described by Wells. Bill Pottinger's work in Iraq was a huge media operation which cost over $100 million a year on average. A document unearthed by the by the Bureau shows the company was employing almost 300 British and Iraqi staff at one point. The London-based PR agency was brought into Iraq soon after the U.S. invasion. In March 2004, it was asked by the country's temporary administration, uh, or tasked by the country's temporary administration with the promotion of democratic elections, a high-profile activity which it trumpeted in its annual report. The firm soon switched to less high-profile activities, however. The Bureau has identified transactions worth $540 million between the Pentagon and Bill Pottinger for information operations and psychological operations on a series of contracts issued from May 2007 to December 2001. A similar contract at about the same annual rate, $120 million, was enforced in 2006, we have been told. The bulk of the money was for costs such as production and distribution, Lord Bell told the Sunday Times, but the firm would have made around $15 million a year. 15 million pounds a year in fees. Uh, Martin Wells, the ex-employee, told the Bureau he had no idea what he was getting into when he was interviewed for the Bell Pottinger job in May 2006. He had been working as a freelance video editor and got a call from his agency suggesting he go to London for an interview for a potential new gig. You'll be doing new stuff that'll be coming out of the Middle East, he was told. I thought, that sounds interesting, Wells recalled. So I go along and go into this building, get escorted up to the sixth floor in a lift, Come out and there's guards up there. I thought, what on earth is going on here? And it turns out it was a Navy post, basically. So from what I could work out, it was a media intelligence gathering unit. After a brief chat, Wells asked when he would find out about the job and was surprised by the response. You've already got it, he was told. We've already done our background checks on you. You'd be flying out on Monday, Wells learned. It was Friday afternoon. He asked where he would be going and got a surprising answer. Baghdad. So I had literally 48 hours to gather everything I needed to live in a desert, Wells said. Um, uh, these actual investigative journalism articles are too long. Um, <laughs> where's the soundbite? Come on. Yeah, where's why, why the soundbite? Why can't we get everything Zinger. just in the title? So let me skip down here. Uh, the work consisted of three types of products. The first was television commercials portraying al-Qaeda in a negative light. The second was news items which were made to look as if they had been created by Arabic TV, Wells said. Hmm. Bill Pottinger would send teams out to film low-definition video of al-Qaeda bombings and then edit it like a piece of news footage. It would be voiced in Arabic and distributed to TV stations across the region, according to Wells. The American origins of the news items were sometimes kept hidden. In 2005, revelations that PR contractor the Lincoln Group had helped the Pentagon place articles in Iraqi newspapers, sometimes presented as unbiased news, led to a Department of Defense investigation. Oh, I'm sure they got in big trouble. Um, the third and most sensitive program described by Wells was the production of fake Al-Qaeda propaganda films. He told the Bureau how the films were made. He was given precise instructions. We need to make this style of video and we've got to use Al-Qaeda's footage. He was told we need it to be 10 minutes long and it needs to be in this file format. We need to encode it in this manner. U.S. Marines would take the CDs on patrol and drop them in the chaos when they raided targets. 
Well said, if they're raiding the house and they're going to make a mess of it, looking for stuff anyway, they just drop an odd CD there. The CDs were set up to use RealPlayer, a popular media streaming application which connects to the internet to run. Wills explained how the team embedded a code into the CDs which linked to a Google Analytics account, giving a list of IP addresses where the CDs had been played. Perfect. Do you understand, tr- you understand how that works exactly, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the tracking account had a very restricted circulation list, according to Wells. The data went to him, a senior member of the Bell Pottinger management team, and one of the U.S. military commanders. Wells explained their intelligence value. If one is looking in the middle of Iraq, you know there's a hit there. He said, if one 48 hours a week later shows up in another part of the world, then that's the more interesting one, and that's what they're looking for more, because that gives you a trail. The CDs turned up in some interesting places, Wells recalled, including Iran, Syria, and even America. I would do a print-up for the day, and if anything interesting popped up, hand it over to the bosses, and then it would be dealt with from there, he said. The Pentagon confirmed that Bell Pottinger did work for them as a contractor. Uh, Yada, yada. Um, And Petraeus signed off on everything, except stuff he couldn't sign off on, and then that went the white house i don't know i thought that was interesting that's ex- yeah uh, that's extremely interesting it doesn't really talk about the content or them creating the content of the videos um not sure where they got the al-qaeda footage from yeah i was thinking the same thing we would just fudge the al-qaeda footage so you know yeah. that's a straight compartmentalization yep you know what i mean and that's just that's a that's a direct evidence of compartmentalization they just got the Al-Qaeda footage and then had to put it together and make it look like it was... Which seems... I mean, it seems nefarious if you look at the world the way we do. But if you don't, maybe... Oh, we just got to you know, kind of make some some persuading videos <laughs> for the right people, right? Right. But we're just yeah. using the prop... We're just using the footage that was made by Al-Qaeda. And so, I mean, we're just doing the right... You know, but, you know, meanwhile, there's some other crew who's told, like, okay, what we're going to do here, we're going to pretend like you're, like, totally a radical extremist, <laughs> and you're going to cut that guy's head off. Right. But you're not actually going to cut his head off, because we're going to need to do the same to this, this thing. Is a green screen. Over a green yeah. screen right over there. <laughs> so, and this is all just, like, for training purposes. So don't <laughs> worry about, like, what, what are we going to do with this and stuff. Training. What's John McCain doing here? John McCain is here because John McCain has incredible video editing experience. Ain't that right, John? He, John, John McCain is here because he supports the the democratic seeking moderates in Syria. Democrat, yes, yes the moderates Syrian. They purpose. love democracy. That's why they need our weapons. They will blow things up moderately. That's right. I read a book this last month. Uh, I, re- I decided to go ahead and read 13 hours uh, just to see, you know, what the big mm-hmm. deal is. Uh, very interesting book. Of course, that is, a, of course, talks about the 13-hour siege at Benghazi. Um, that is a, I mean, that's an interesting book for sure. Uh, my, my, uh, my, my short review would be: I think that we still don't. The book. The book only points out more questions. Is kind of what mm-hmm. I was afraid of. Now I actually know more about the actual um, raid and 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 siege that took place there at the compound, and I only have more like I have more information. Like I'm more well aware of what went down, 
Um, and this is supposedly written from the survivor's standpoint. Uh, I'm not sure how, you know, if there was then, I'm sure it was then edited by the government or somebody as it went through this process. It was held as, hailed as a, you know, um, uh, first-hand account only and does not do any political machinations, you know, one way or the other. And it just is the straight facts. And it wasn't very kind of Hillary, as you can imagine. Uh, but it wasn't extremely damning either. But like I said, it just gave me a kind of a good story that left me just asking like 16,000 more questions. Like, how did these people just appear that just were so... Because from the operators and military CIA guys and uh, mil- army guys' perspective... They totally got blindsided by this, and it was weird the way it took place. Like, it was just like, there they are. There's a bunch of people who are coming in. It's not so cut and dry. There's nobody flying a uh, Syrian rebel, or excuse me, a uh, Libyan rebel flag and saying, you know, we're going to come in here and take this place over. Mm-hmm. There was supposedly a delayed reaction force because the Libyan, the it was some baloney. I mean, it's just let's just call it what it is. Some totally baloney outfit that's supposed to be Libyans fighting for... Libyan, you know, continuity of government or whatever, but so they're basically the same as the moderate rebels in Syria. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. I don't know if they'd be the same as that, but basically they're a Libyan force that didn't have any training. They're kind of like the Iraqi army. We we were paying (laughs) war, like warring mercenaries to to supposedly protect the... But dude, mercenaries would have been good compared to these guys. They didn't know what they were doing. So the, this is more like the Iraqi army. It's like, hey, these are the good guys in the country that's being ripped apart. These are the ones who have like decided to stand up and come in and fight for an American base. You know, you know, defend. And there were there were well many people who did so, but they're constantly trying to differentiate those that group of people. I can't remember the name of them. It was just some baloney name from others who seem to have you know not their their best intentions in mind, uh, you know, their, their best, uh, interests in mind. So there's constantly that. And then all of a sudden in this, like, um, mass of people that's beginning to assemble outside of the compound, there's a really, really, really organized force. Uh, the whole place is on fire. Uh, there's a smoke inhalation death by a, a tech support guy there who suspected Something weird was going to happen. And then there's a siege afterwards where the, you know, the, some of the operators kind of went in and secured the place and then were under enemy fire from outside. And I mean a lot of enemy fire. Like all of a sudden there was, you know, trucks and cars and it was just some sort of strange organization. And the whole time they're being told from Washington to cease fire, not to fire, which is, you know, which goes over real well with a bunch of operators who are being right. you know, fired upon. So. You know, they, of course, disobeyed the order or, you know, some of them said that they lost radio communication (laughs) (laughs) and engaged in. uh, Yeah. I mean, so anyway, my point is, uh, like, uh, I guess the one thing I can take from it is that from an operator's perspective, because it was written by, you know, different, um, not necessarily CIA. There was a CIA chief there, but these guys are just like military delta force you know these are navy seals these are the ones that the american you know movie industry loves to and the american people just love to like put on the huge pedestals because they're kind of crazy war war guys you know but from their perspective 
there was no there's no good guys there's no black hats and white hats it's just like they're looking out at this mass of people and bad stuff's happening and they have to try and figure out what in the world is going on and meanwhile they're getting contradictory uh information over the headset about who to engage and how and it, it just made the whole situation seem more real it's not just like hey hillary clinton said it was about this but really it was about this it was just like this real organized attack that came out of a whole lot of chaos that took place that day. But the attack and the response of the government almost, and the response of the U.S. government are extremely uh, questionable. I mean, it, it just, the whole thing just reeks, as you would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, even though it's like, for, why do those people keep talking about ben, Benghazi? There's, you know, several congressional investigations by republicans that don't show anything and it's like okay yeah we've never seen a congressional investigation not reveal the whole truth no never never had that problem in our history no no and they keep talking about it because something fishy went down there i mean there was something something bad i mean you know the no agenda show their theories it was a kidnapping gone wrong we talked about, you and I talked about back when this show very first started, that we thought that uh, they were running guns out of that spot to, to give to the Libyan rebels and whatnot. Um, well, that, that theory, go ahead. Out of Libya into Syria and, and other places. Right, out of Libya or from Syria into Libya. It felt like they were bringing people from Syria and different war zones into Libya and then out of Libya they're sending guns. Um, and that theory actually holds a lot of water, especially when you start to get down to the nitty gritty details of it. For instance, there's a house that plays a central role that's just off of the property. Um, and, the, and for a long time, the operators couldn't figure out whether it was a, a just a civilian site or if it was a, uh, you know, part of the part of the attack. And then there's a, constantly a guy outside on a cell phone. And uh, sometimes if they would injure people from far away that were coming to attack, the people would run out of that house and bring them into their house. But they were under strict strict orders not to fire upon that house. So it just it seems like I had always thought, and you and I talked about this a long time ago, that the locals knew what was really going on there, that there was guns being run, that it was the source of a lot of the tension and strife in the area. And some sort of organized attack came up through that, whether it was by... Uh, or at least at the top organized by members of our own government or at the, at the least like uh, looking away while they organized. Um, I th- I always felt like that, that was people on the ground really knowing what was going on there. And we've never really been told. And of course, 13 hours doesn't actually tell you what the mission was before there. They just tell you there was a CIA chief and a bunch of operators and some nice guy named ambassador Stevens. Right. Yeah, that's well. I, I'm curious now. I want to read the book. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a good book. It's. It's definitely entertaining. Uh, it's. Uh, but it's entertaining and then sad. I mean, people die. And, and I, yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed the way people died in the book. I know it sounds horrible, but it wasn't no American sniper. Isn't this just really cool? It was just like, dang, this doesn't like these dudes died, and there's it doesn't even make sense. There's no reason. None of them know mm-hmm. why, you know, and that was, that was, it's troubling, you know, 
as it should be. And that's why I didn't yes. mind the book, you know, the tone, yeah. the tone seemed okay, even though it uh, probably was covering up a lot or left out a lot. The tone for their deaths and kind of what they went through is very spot on. Yeah. And Rance, thank you, sir, for listening to that one and everyone out there. I wish I could have put my thoughts together a little more clearly, but. <clears throat> oh, that's all right. I didn't write down any words of wisdom. So. so now it's time to ask you, what are your words of wisdom? <laughs> Come on, give me a Confucius say 13 <laughs> days in the NICU is better than 14 days in the NICU. Oh, well, these are not words of wisdom, but um, my our first daughter was born 2013. What happened in football for the 2013 NFL season? The Seahawks won the Super Bowl. So I'm just saying, if they win it again this year, I'm writing a letter to Paul Allen, and I want a house and some romantic vacation time to try and keep the <laughs> keep the good times rolling for the Seahawks. Keep the good times rolling for the Seahawks need a, need a bigger, and bigger the Hoffmans. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got married in 2013. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I got to go get married again? (laughs) Um, Same woman, woman, same woman. (laughs) Married and, uh, but kid in 2016. So maybe we'll, you know. Important, important signposts. Let's just say say the Oregon Ducks won't be winning the national championship this year. So. So earlier when I was distracted and you said, what are you looking for? I was looking for the current count on days since Oregon <laughs> has defeated Washington. I was going to add the appropriate amount of days and, uh, you know, give to you the exact amount of days that it will have been. I'd, yeah. When that streak uh, ends. <laughs> I think that streak ends on Saturday. It does. It absolutely yeah. does. It's an exciting time for football in the Northwest. I got to tell you, man, it's weird as a Seahawks fan, Seahawks slash Chargers, but Seahawks fan to uh, root for a college football team, have said college football team win handily, be extremely excited about it, and then go on to Reddit or the other forums and have everyone be excited about Washington having won. As a Seahawks fan, it's like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. So they... I'm excited my team just won and everybody else is excited too. <laughs> the Huskies haven't been good for a long time. So they got, they got a lot of sympathy, you know, people rooting for them. And it's nice to have college football back in the Northwest, man. Chris Peterson's a good coach. Do you remember I, the last relevant team in the state of Washington that, uh, you know, had any kind of relevancy in college football? I, I was just a, 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 a wee the Ryan boy. Leaf Washington State Yes, team. <laughs> yeah. I was just a wee boy of about 21, 22 when they made it to the the Rose Bowl, Washington State. Jeez. <laughs> People are saying fire Mark Helfridge for Oregon, but it's like, man, there were a lot of bad Oregon football years. Like it, Oregon football did not start with Chip Kelly. No, absolutely not. And I have and proof. I, right I don't here. think people understand how much worse it can get. Like, yeah. No, I, I, I hear you 100%. That, that is exactly right. I mean, um, I, have the, I have it right here for you. Even though 
Oregon has beat Washington every single year since, I think the last time Washington won was 2003. Um, even though they've beat them, so what, the last 13 years in a row or 12 years in a row, the overall series still stands at 58, 45, and 5 in favor of Washington. Right. So it's been a long time, but, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure it'll change back, but I'm excited to, to see the, to see the Huskies do something. Well, when, when, um, UFC, didn't hire Chris Peterson mm-hmm. and hired Sarkeesian mm-hmm. and then Washington hired Chris Peterson. I'm like, Oh, that Washington lucked out on that one. Yeah. I was going to say that was a, uh, <laughs> that was a, that was a total win for, them. for things to come. Yeah. I mean, Chris Peterson, you know, he's a really pretty good football coach, probably coached the greatest college football game in history. <laughs> We're not going to talk about it anymore. So <laughs> against Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, in Oklahoma. How do you end up playing two top five teams in the first four or five, five weeks? That's rough. Well, you And nobody knew at the time. Everybody thought, Oklahoma's overrated. Oklahoma's overrated. And it's like, this Houston team seems to be pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like Ohio State at home. Like, oh, good. So Ohio State rolls into town and just dismantles us. This uh, OSU team seems pretty good. <laughs> Oklahoma yes. drops out of rankings last week, totally out. And then they proceed to beat, you know, ranked TCU. And it's like, hello, hello, anybody, anybody? Yeah. <laughs> so it should be interesting. It's rivalry week. So Oregon and Washington this weekend, as well as Texas, Oklahoma. Yes. Is it, hate, is it Ohio State, week. Michigan too? Hate week as Oregon, Washington is known. Yes. Hate week. So the, it goes back because uh, Washington tried to in some old conference alignment they voted to keep Oregon out and let in like Idaho State or someone or like Montana as part of the conference instead of Oregon so it's the rivalry goes back then it's there's lots of uh, angst among the, the old time Oregon football fans the Huskies went 18 and 4 from 1972 to 93, but since then Oregon is 17 and 4 since 2004. The Ducks have won 12 straight, the longest run by either team in the series. The closest margin during the current Oregon streak is 6 points. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I could definitely see it uh you know being a 50 point um Washington win. At the same time, college football. Yeah, and that's the great thing about college football. That I mean, if fact. they show up and play the way they did against Stanford, there's no, you know, it'll be a t- utter destruction. But if they show up and play the way they did against Arizona, yep, you know, it'll be like I still think they'll win, but it'll be a, you know, two touchdown game instead. So last week I'm standing. Last Saturday I'm standing at the in the showroom at at work, and uh, I, I you know we watched Georgia go up over Tennessee, and I just you know everybody's just like laughing and excited about it. You know uh, the Georgia quarterback uh, Eason, I think his last name. He's actually from around here. He's up from uh, Lake Stevens up here. Oh really? So one of my uh, coworkers actually knows him and was you know. Uh, 
his 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 friend friend of a friend coached him in high school and all this other stuff. So we're watching. And I said, you know, that's the great part about college football. You just never. That's why I like it. You know, almost better than the pros because you know these aren't pros. These are kids. You just never know what in the world is going to happen. I no sooner said that than Tennessee recovers the uh, or gets the kickoff return, gets a penalty for 15 yards, and throws a bomb in the last four seconds of the game <laughs> in which the guy catches the ball and wins it. And we're all like, oh, my gosh, he caught it. And nobody's even invested in the game except for the one guy. And he was just like, unbelievable, unbelievable. I can't believe this. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, Football, yeah. people. Football. It's America's best product. <laughs> and we we went long enough. We got meta enough. We got our words of wisdom anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, I'm stealing this, but <laughs> uh, did you notice they took Russell Wilson, not out of this last game, but after his knee was basically bent in the wrong direction with a 300 pound man slamming himself into it. And then he just came right back in the game. Mm -hmm. There's a a story on the, the field goals Seahawks blog. Uh, Russell Wilson pulled from game to hide the bionic truth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's funny. You mentioned that the, uh, on Reddit the other day, somebody pointed out that uh, he gave, the guy that caught the touchdown it was the first time he had ever caught a touchdown pass. He was a rookie, McCoy or Mc, Mc, McAvoy. McAvoy. Tanner McAvoy. Yeah. Tanner McAvoy catches, and uh, at the end, Russell goes up and hands him the, the game ball. He, you know, he remembered that was his game ball that he had scored the touchdown with, and, and gave it to him. And somebody on the uh, forums or on Reddit commented. They said, uh, and "Everybody's like, oh, he's such a class act." And the other guy's like, "Ah, uh, I think that he had put a." Uh, what was it ever? I think he has Evernote synced with his, he- <laughs> with his heads up display, and it just yeah. came. In, it just came into his view <laughs> while he was walking towards the sideline. Like must give ball to McAvoy. Like oh, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> Many people refer to him as Rustbot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, just a little something extra for those people who hung around for that. Yeah. Every every once in a while, you do get reminded that normal humans, if they underwent that sort of uh, punishment, would not be getting up probably for a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. I mean, w- when was the last time you like fell down hard on the ground? Um, I'm, I'm probably a little more than most, but. I guess it was last. Oh, time you, I was you play some flag football. Yeah, so it was last time I was playing flag. flag football. But. Yeah, I was playing flag football. Uh, it's probably been a while. You know, probably a little over a year. But as an you know, an average adult. As an average adult, like falling down is not. You know, my three-year-old daughter she falls down a lot. This is a, <laughs> a daily, multiple times a day event. Falling down is just something that you do. You <laughs> jump off of stuff, and then you figure out. Oh, that was too high to jump off of because it really hurts. But then you cry about it and you, you know, try something else. <laughs> As an adult, yeah, like accidentally falling down doesn't happen very often. No, definitely not. 
A copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at revelationsradionews.com. To contact Andrew and Tim, or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit revelationsradionews.com and click on the Contact tab or Support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at revelationsradionetwork.com, and thank you for your support of this podcast. She's got the peace sign button on her lapel She's got the coexist sticker on her hybrid car Talking Palestinian oppression in the Middle East And I like where this is going But then she tells me I should be forced to buy health insurance Like Cigna ain't got enough money already She's got the proverbial gun literally aimed at my chest And when I balk the conversation is over I say I am an anarcho-capitalist You're a left-leaning liberal I adhere to the non-aggression principle While you stand in line at the movies to see Michael Moore This guy, he's pissed off about the bailout. He's afraid that the government is gonna take all his guns. And he's extremely upset about taxes. And I like where this is going. But then he starts railing about Islamo-fascists. Forget about due process. Suspend habeas corpus. Nuke the sons of bitches now. Ask questions later. And when I balk, the conversation is over. I see. I am an anarcho-capitalist, you're a neoconservative, I adhere to the non-aggression principle, while you repeat whatever you hear on talk radio. There's a band on stage screaming about anarchy They got the guitars up loud and the beats real fast Sticking a middle finger up to authority And I like where this is going But then I delve deeper into their philosophy They're talking egalitarian communes and animal rights No system of arbitration or division of labor No law and order no property rights Because if we never used money and only bartered And if we relegate ourselves to a loose tribal order And if no one worked for anybody else If the state would just abolish itself Cause we're all too busy looking cool to bother If we all just sat around every day smoking weed If punk rock became all acoustic Due to the shutting down of the electric company And if our dreadlocks finally grew together Into one giant hairball of unity Then we'll finally achieve egalitarian society Think of it as going camping only forever No thanks I am an anarcho-capitalist, you're a socio-anarchist. I adhere to the non-aggression principle, your smell adheres to everything in a 20-foot radius. And when I balk, 
the conversation's over. I say I'm an anarcho-capitalist while you stand in line at the movies to see Michael Moore. When I walk, the conversation is over while you repeat whatever you hear on top radio. We don't have to live no, 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 no. under a system like this. No, no, that it is, no, no, it is a lie, it is a, it is slander against the human race no to say that this is the only way for no social relations to be organized, no, no, in which we are ruled over no, no, no. by a group of thiefdoms who also monopolize our education, who tell us that living under thiefdoms is the best and only way of living. And anybody who objects to this is probably got something wrong with them. No, there's got to be some other way. There's got to be some other way of organizing society than some people get to loot other people and then badger and condemn those other people as the enemies of mankind. There has to be some other way. And we see what that other way is. Actually, it is the free market. It's a free society where all the initiative comes from, the inventions, the improvements in our standard of living, all of which are completely unsung. Peace and anarchy. Peace and anarchy. And ultimately, what this boils down to is that every platitude you learn about the government is the opposite of the truth. And every one of these platitudes is taught in school and is intended to create a race of drones that sits back and raises no objection when it's treated like garbage by this institution. My friends, we can do better as a race of mankind.